Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. We hope you enjoy this week's message. How's everybody doing today? Oh, dang, you guys are doing a lot better than the first service. They're like, but <laughs> you guys are lively, wow. Well, welcome here, and if anybody's new, big welcome, extra welcome, and if it's your birthday, happy birthday, big bless by our big God. Um, I'm excited for uh, this morning, and uh, I'm excited for the word that I feel like God has put on my heart, but before we get to that, I just want to do a prayer so we get our hearts into it. So, yeah, Lord, we just come before you this morning, and we just ask you to come and move, Lord. Move in our hearts, move in our minds, that you would come and speak to us, that you would open our hearts to what you want to do, that you would lead us deeper and deeper into intimacy with you, that you would give us a further passion and desire for your ways, Lord. So come and let your will be done and let your kingdom come in your name, Jesus. And also, hi to those of you who are online. Uh, I don't see Camera 7 Lives, I don't know where it's at, but welcome. Say hello to each other in the chat or something. So uh, I'm going to be continuing on the summer in the Psalms, and honestly, I wish we could just keep doing the Psalms, so then summer would just perpetually continue, because there's so many Psalms, and that way we just wouldn't have winter, and wouldn't that be great? I feel like, I feel like that would really uplift us and bring us closer to God, so Lord, <laughs> no, just kidding, we need winter, we need winter. Um, but I'm going to be talking through Psalms 51. So you guys are awake, so this is good, this is good, because it's, it's a bit of a heavy psalm, so prepare yourself. It's not that bad. It is, there's always hope in Jesus, so praise God. But it's a heavy psalm, and I start off, starting off in the psalm, uh, there's the, the bit of a header, you know, in some, some of the psalms it says like, oh, this was a psalm of this guy, or this was a psalm of David. And this one says, for the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So this is where this is heading, all right? So before we get into Psalm 51, which is really just a, a heartbreaking and yearning to be back at the feet and back at the throne room of God. Before we get to this yearning and this breaking, I want to see how David got to this point. Because this is actually one of the few psalms that actually directly point to a specific time in King David's life. And at this point in 2 Samuel 11, this is where the story is found. I'm not going to read through it in its entirety so you get the abbreviated Josue version. Uh, but if you want to read through it in its entirety, entirety it's in uh, uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. That's the whole story here that leads up to Psalm 51. So at this point at, in, in the Second Samuel, David is in a good spot, all right? Uh, he is like the bona fide King David. He is reigning. He's got his throne secure. God has made an eternal covenant with him. Like his descendants are supposed to reign for like an eternity, passing down to his sons generation after generation after generation. He's, he's in a pretty good spot right now. He's feeling pretty good. Um, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is with him, further establishing that he is God's chosen one, that he is a man after God's heart. He's, he's the man. 
and you could probably see where I'm heading with this, but we can start to see how, how a bit shaky this ground that David is now standing on as King David, because he's no longer sleeping in caves, running away from Saul, who's trying to get after him. No, he's in this place of where life is good. In fact, his army's on the offensive. They're taking ground in the Ammonite kingdom. They're killing it. So David takes a bit of a step back, and he just enjoys, you know, his splendor and his glory and his kingship. And it, it, this kind of leads him to a dangerous place. So we find him in the beginning of 2 Samuel 11, kind of waking up from a deep sleep, deep mid-afternoon nap. You know, I'm out of Shalope. He probably had a big feast, and now he was just chilling. It's midday now, he's on his balcony, probably just like, I could just imagine him with like kind of a gut, because you know, he's not out there fighting anymore. And yeah, that's what, that's what it says. He's supposed to be out there fighting, because this is typically when the kings were out fighting, but he was staying back. So he's out there chilling on his balcony. Then he sees Bathsheba. And you can kind of start to see where, how dangerous it is for David to be where he's at. His heart isn't pursuing God like it used to. He isn't, this, he isn't in a place where he's needing God like he used to. He has it all. You could say that King David got a lit, little too comfy. He got too content in his own kingdom. So he's in this dangerous place and he sees Bathsheba. And instead of running away and fleeing from temptation like the Bible commands us to do, and instead of spending time in the word, as he says in Psalms 119, how does a, how does a young man stay pure by obeying your commands and, and, and having the word in your heart? He doesn't do that. He sends messengers to Bathsheba. And then eventually he takes advantage of Bathsheba, using his power and authority to have his way with her. She ends up pregnant. This whole messy story, it, it, this, is, this is heavy, guys. And he realizes, like, oh, shoot. You know, I, I, gotta, I gotta deal with this. But he doesn't deal with it in, you know, turning to God, repenting, saying, I have messed up badly. You know, he tries to sweep it under the rug and he tries to make it go away by himself. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you like mess up real bad and instead of actually taking accountability and dealing with it, you like, you lie about it and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. That's what's going on here. And I like, <laughs> I was thinking about this in the first service. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched The Office, but there's this one scene where Kevin Malone has this big pot of chili that he's been working on all night. And then he's excited and he's like, yeah, I make this once a year. And then he drops it all over himself. And it's just, just pouring out. And he's trying to gather it all. And then he's got chili all over himself. He's trying to use paper to clean it up, but it's just not working. This is where David is at. Uh, instead of taking a step back and, and seeing his need for repentance, uh, he, he tries to solve it by himself. So he's like, okay, I got to think of my toes here. So he gets Uriah the Hittite, which was Bathsheba's husband, who was out fighting his campaign while he was staying back. He gets him to come back home. So hopefully that he stays with his wife. So then it looks like uh, the son is actually Uriah's instead of David's. But the thing that David didn't count on was Uriah being a really stand-up guy and him actually having a heart of gold where he doesn't actually want to, to go home to his wife because he feels bad that his fellow soldiers are out there fighting while he's back home. So he sleeps in the barracks. He sleeps in the barracks instead of, uh, instead of going home with his wife. So then David eventually is like, okay, this guy isn't going home, so I can't 
so it can't make it look like it's his son or it's his, his, it's his kid. So then he, he has a plan B, which is, is, is worse. Um, it's all bad, but this one's worse. So he, has, so he calls up his buddy Joab, you know, the, his commander of his armies, and he's like, I, I, let's get uh, Uriah the Hittite to go on the front lines and then pull back the troops and then let Uriah be killed by the sword of the Ammonites. And that's what happens. And that's where David's heart led him to, his brokenness and his hardness led him to this place where he couldn't simply just repent and try to make amends, but he tried to make it worse, or he tried to make it better by himself, and he made it so much worse. He made it so much worse. And then uh, 2 Samuel uh, eleven twenty seven has this really haunting line, and it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And when I read that, I'm like, oh man, I don't want to be in this place where God is displeased with me. It just doesn't sound like a good thing because, you know, God is a loving father. And when you know his love and you know his heart, you don't want to sin against him or make him go far away from you because there's nothing like him. But, but the Lord was displeased with what David has done. And a little anecdote, actually, you can really see that this is something that the Lord was displeased with, not only with the, the, the consequences of David's actions, but when you actually look at the genealogy of Jesus, when it mentions King Solomon, it mentions him as being the son of David and the son of Bathsheba, but she's not mentioned as the wife of David. She's mentioned as the widow of Uriah the Hittite. So this is something that displeased the Lord greatly. So David got too comfy and it led him to this place. His heart was overflowing with wickedness and it led him to this, to this spot where he went contrary to God's heart because this isn't what God had in store for him. This isn't what God wanted David to be at. He wanted David to delight in him. He wanted to be King David's king and keep him accountable and walk alongside him as a good father. He wanted David to delight in the Lord. He wanted him to continue praising and ultimately lead the Israelite people deeper into covenant relationship with the living God. But, but the, the, this sin, this mess up, kind of, kind of shook him from that and it brought him to this, this disastrous place. And then eventually, King David needed to be, needed to be confronted so God puts, puts this message in the heart of the prophet Nathan. And this I'm actually going to read through because it's a great story. And it says this. This is from uh, 2 Samuel 2, 12, chapter 12, 1 to 9. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but probably not. Which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew it with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare to the traveler who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it to the man who had come to him. Then David's anger, ironically, was greatly kindled against the man. So David, hearing the story, is like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And kind of reminds me of uh, Jesus when he's saying it's so easy to see like the splinter in somebody else's eye, but then you got a log in your own. I feel like this is what's kind of happening here. And David is getting upset by this story. And he's like, uh, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives... 
The man who has done this deserves to die. He's kind of shooting himself in the foot here. And he shall restore the land fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So he's able to recognize in the other person how they had heart in their heart and they didn't have this mercy and no pity inside of them. But he was failing to recognize that this is who he was. And luckily, Nathan is there. And Nathan says to David, you are the man. You are that man. And this isn't the good, like, you're the man, David. You're, that, you're the guy. This is like, no, David, like, what you did here, you are the man. You're the man in the story. And then it goes into this next, this next part here which I think really speaks volumes to how far David actually lost track of who God was and God's heart for him and his people. And it says, thus says the Lord. And this is all caps. So this is meaning, this is Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the eternal one, the one who is who he is. No one like him. There is no one more holy and beautiful. This is who he is, the God of Israel. And I feel like at this point, like he's just saying this to David, so David realizes, like, oh my goodness, I'm not the man. Not that, <laughs> he's not like the, the man, you know? So he's, he's real, he's, God is showing him that God is the God of Israel, not David. He, he might be king, but the Lord is the true king of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hands of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I add to you so much more. Why have you despised the word of Yahweh? To do evil in his sight, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So God is showing David that he lost track of God's heart of who he was, that he is actually the God of Israel, that he is the true king of Israel. The only reason that the Israelites have a king is because they kept walking away from God because they wanted to be like the other nations and have their own king. So God gave them a king. But God is the true king of Israel. But I think the story, and even though it's messed up and it's really hard, we can see how dangerous it is to be caught up with ourselves and to grow at ease, whether it's in our religiosity or in our life. But once we're so caught up in ourselves, we fail to see how our actions affect other people. And it can bring us to a place where we really disregard others and disregard the Lord's heart. When we lose track of God's word, we risk our hearts getting too comfy like David did. When, when we put our, when, and repeatedly, when we put ourselves in situations where we're not supposed to be at, we're opening ourselves up for failure. And this goes to show us that the heart matters, that our heart really matters. So we need to be wary and vigilant of it because from it, it really dictates how we live and what we do. And this is something that Proverbs 4.23 tells us. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And it's a really cool passage, but it's a little bit scary. It's like, oh man, I really need to be wary of my heart. 
And you need to be wary what's driving me, what's motivating me, what's, what am I believing in that, that my heart is resting on. And David's heart was resting on himself. He was focused on his own kingdom. He was focused on his own glory instead of God's. Luckily, though, God didn't abandon him. And yes, he was displeased, but he, he passed over David's sin and he brought some reconciliation. And no, David wasn't really the same again. Maybe it's how he responded to the, the salvation that, he, that was given to him. But either way, it, it was really hard. But God did not take away his kingdom. God continued his faithfulness to the, the Davidic line in which Jesus came from. So God honored his covenant, showing that he is faithful and true to his word and faithful and true to his people, demonstrating that he is indeed who he is and who he says he is. So, so something that Jesus also tells us, Jesus tells us to be wary of our hearts in Matthew 15, 18 to 20 says, but the words you speak come from the heart and that's what defile you. At this time, uh, Jesus had just addressed the religious people who were focusing on why their religious actions uh, bring purity or impurity. And then Jesus is saying, no, that's not what, where it's from. And then he says, for the heart for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So it's not necessarily the, the, the things simply that we do or our religious duties that make us clean, but it's really our heart. It's really where our heart lies. And if our heart is with Jesus, if our heart is filled with the Spirit and we're drawing near to that, well, we're going to see fruits of the Spirit with truth, love, joy, kindness. But when our hearts are hardened towards God and we don't draw close, well, we're filled with all sorts of stuff that can really mess up our relationship with God. And at the end of the day, that's what matters most. That's what God created us for to be in union with him, in communion with his living word and, his, and, his, and to bask in his beauty. That's what we're, we're, we ought to be at. That's where we're supposed to be. So Psalm 51 kind of highlights, so how do we keep our hearts pure? How do we keep our hearts on God? How, how do we stay on this path? Well, Psalm 51 shows us to stay desperate to hunger for him, to long for him, because this is a psalm of David breaking on his knees and crying out for God to come and to move again, to come and to bring restoration to his heart. He acknowledges that only God can bring a work of renewal. Only God could come and save him. And I think if we stay in that place and we stay in that place of remembering who God is and his beauty, we, we won't walk away as easily from his word and his grace. So the thing also is that God delights in hearts that are after him. And Psalm 51 shows us this. He delights in hearts that are seeking and breaking for him. Psalm 51, 16 to 17 says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. That is what God is looking for, a heart that's seeking him, a heart that's desperate and longing for him to move. And I think that, that should encourage us to like, okay, even if we are in a broken place, even though we might think that we have it all together, but we really don't, let's set our eyes on him. Let's hunger and thirst and seek after God's heart because the amazing, the amazing thing is when we do that, 
God actually comes near us. He draws near to us. Uh, James 4.8 says, Draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you, you double-minded. <laughs> He's a little bit blunt here, but I love this message. I love the, this verse because what, when we do draw near to God, when we recognize our need for him, he's going to step in. He honors that humility and that desire for him because, like I mentioned before, that's what God wants. He wants to be with us. He delights in us. So when we are hungering for him, he wants to spend time with us because he is a good father that wants to be with his children. And when we live in sinfulness and brokenness and on ourselves, it's not where we ought to be. We ought to be in his presence, close resting, drawing near, drinking from his cup of living water. So the, the thing is that this is not only for ourselves to be close to God, but it's also for our community. It's also for those around us because when we're full of the spirit, when we're close to God, we're gonna act more and more like him and people will see and taste of the glory and the goodness of God through the way that we live and act. And this is something that even David reflects on in Psalm 51. He recognizes the need for, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and it says, verses 18 to 19, look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem then you will be pleased with the sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be sacrificed on your altar. So David is realizing that in individual hearts that are repentant and seeking after God will rebuild Jerusalem. Then God will be pleased with the sacrifices they alter, with the right spirit. So that's what God wants is the right spirit. And that happens when we're desperate and thirsty for him. And speaking of desperate and thirsty, um, hydration is good. <laughs> when we were worshiping, I was like, oh man, I think I might be singing too loud. <laughs> so I'm starting to feel it in my voice. Anyways, so continuing on from this, we, we got to be in this place of desperation, of longing for God. Because when we do that, when we're closer to his heart, the closer we'll be to him. And... I think Psalm 51 shows us what it looks like to break down before God and to plead and to yearn and to thirst for him again. Because David had wandered so far and his heart was so hardened. God was his only way out. So he was, he was literally seeking God as if it was the last thing on earth for him. It was the last thing. It was the only thing that could actually bring him, bring him back. So... There's a couple different things, couple different ways that this, this passage speaks about staying desperate and becoming desperate for God. Obviously, there's, there's so many more things, but this is just what stood out to me. And the first one is remembering who he is, remembering who God is. And this is something that David lost track of. It's not that he literally forgot who God was, but he forgot who God's, God's nature, his faithfulness, his kindness, and his beauty and his love. Because as in the New Testament, it talks about how the love of Christ actually prevents us from sinning because we recognize his beauty and his grace, and we see that beauty and that grace. We don't want to do the things that we want to do in our flesh, but we actually want to do the things that he wants us to do. But his heart was in a place where he wanted to do, to do the things that he wants to do. He wanted to do the David things. 
And, and we see this in Psalm 51, 1 and 2. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. He's recognizing that he has fallen short and he has stepped away from God, from what God has intended. And he's calling out God's covenant faithfulness. He's calling out on God's covenant love. So he's remembering God's goodness and his faithfulness to his people, how the I am is. He's remembering who God is. And when he does that, it brings him to this place of recognizing his sin and recognizing his brokenness and ultimately his need for God. And I think when we take the time and remember who God is, it brings us to that place without even having to go through what David has gone through. We remember his faithfulness and his love and his beauty. And I think when we look at the beauty of Jesus and what he did for us out of his great and unfailing love on a cross, that's got to rock us. That should rock us because the price that he paid was so great. And I don't think we fully ever realize. I know that I don't. But when we look at that beauty and the glory of Jesus, that should lead us away from doing what our hearts want to do. And I know when I don't spend time with God and I start doing what Josue wants to do, it's not a good time. My heart is black. My heart is broken. My heart is dirty without him. Without God, I, have, I, I walk in brokenness and nothingness. But with him, he actually brings renewal. And the more time I spend with him, the more I actually want to do what he wants to do. So that's why we got to draw near and we got to be desperate and seek him out. And when we do that, this leads to the, the second thing that helps us to be desperate for God. And that's to recognize our need for him. To recognize our need for him. And, and these are pretty much all one and the same. They're all super connected. Um, but we see David recognizing his need for God in, in verses 3 to 6. He says, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. And that's a bit of a scary prayer, but it's a beautiful one. For your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me even there. So as he recognizes and remembers God's unfailing love and his covenant faithfulness, he realizes how far that he's fallen short and how far away his heart has gone from God's heart. So he recognizes his need for God's intervention, for something out of himself to come and rescue him and bring him out of this muck, to bring him out of this mire, and to hopefully renewal a new life. And we see that God did do this. God did restore him. He did not take away his kingdom. But I think it, it, this should remind us to be like, man... Let's not get to that place. Let's not get to that place where we're so filled with ourselves that we lose track of who God is. Let's remember our need for him because we all fall short. And I'm not saying this just to throw condemnation and say like, oh, you're the worst. But I was saying this just to remember in light of who God is, we are nothing. We are dust. We're dust only brought to life by the spirit, by the ruah of the living God. So apart from him, who are we? What have we? And I love in uh, previous Psalms, um, 
God, David or somebody is reflecting on God's faithfulness, and he's like, if you turn your face from me, I may as well roll over and die. So when we look at who God is, we realize our need for him, our need for him to walk in his ways, our need for him to lead us into righteousness and purity and hope because ultimately he is the only one that can bring restoration to this broken and fallen world. He's the only one who can make the wrong things somewhat right. He's the only one who can bring restoration. And when David reflected on his need for him, it brought him to that place of like, oh man, I messed up. I messed up. And I know this is something that I've needed to do in my own life. Um, when I w- was in high school, I was like hopelessly addicted to porn. And it was just relentless in my life. And it left me in a place of so much brokenness and so much shame that I couldn't even confess to other people. I didn't confess to anybody for years. I let it grow inside of me and grow and grow. And it brought me to this place of either I just end it or, or, or I call upon something greater than me. Luckily, I, 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 the Lord met me where I was at and he led me to call out to him by his grace. And it it wasn't like an instant Damascus Road experience. It was a slow build. But he met me where where I was at, and he showed me my need for him. He showed me that there's nothing that I could do to possibly make things right. There's no way I could unsee the things that I had seen. But to just submit and to crawl before him and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need your grace. There's no way out of this but you. And in that place, he was faithful and true. And he was faithful to his covenant that he made with me through Jesus. He saw Jesus, the perfect and blameless lamb, and came and met me where I was at so I could be in communion and life and, and breathe in his spirit again. And this is what happens when we draw near. This is what happens when we hunger and we have a desperate heart for him. He meets us. He meets us in our brokenness. He meets us where we're at. And I think that's so amazing. It should fill us with joy and celebration because he's a good father who does not let his children wander away. He loves, he goes out of his way for the 99. Or he goes out of his way for the, for the one from the 99. And this, this leads us to the, the third part of what brings us to a point of desperation, a holy desperation for God, and that's to seek restoration. And the reason why I mention this is because we can only find restoration, only true restoration to who we ought to be. We can only find it in God. So we got to draw near for him to find it. We got to draw near to his heart, hear his beating heart to draw closer to him than our skin is to us. That's where we got to be for us, to, to find truth and life again, to be near him. So and this is something that David does. He seeks this restoration and forgiveness that only God can bring. And, and this is seen in verses 7 to 11. It says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again, for you have broken me. Now let me rejoice Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a loyal, renew a loyal spirit within me. 
I love that part so much. It says, do not banish me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So he was so, he was so desperate, he was so broken, he, he was longing for this restoration and that ultimately brought him to a place of drawing closer to God because there's no way that he could do it without God. And the amazing thing is, God is still the same. Through the work of Jesus, we have this everlasting grace that is beautiful and sometimes it's so easy to take for granted because it's so freely given. But the thing is that it cost a price. It cost a heavy price. The sinless, perfect God, the great I am, became dust that he made. And he took upon the sins of this world so that we didn't have to deal with this punishment that we were owed. But he took it on himself because of his faithfulness and love to his people. And it, I, when I think about it, it is foolishness. Like, I don't understand how a God sinless would take upon our sins. Like, that's love. That's love. So David is recognizing this unfailing love, and he realizes who God is. So he's praying, and he's thirsting for God to renew his heart and to renew him a loyal spirit. And I love that we have the opportunity to do that that we have the grace given to us to actually come boldly before the throne of grace and ask for God to come and lead us and to restore us and to renew in us a right spirit. And it can be hard. It can be hard to get to that place, but it's so worth it. I don't know where you guys are at right now in your life. I don't know. If you feel stuck or broken, you feel like David, who you've, you've sinned over and over again, and you feel like there's no way out, seek restoration. Call out God's name. He will come. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And maybe you think where you're at, you're in a good place. And that's, that's sick. Praise God for that. But keep seeking after him. Keep remembering who he is. Keep remembering your need for him. Not to just like be like, oh, woe is me all the time, but to, to, to just acknowledge that God is and we are not. And in that place, there's so much freedom because the Lord moves and works through us in ways that we could never even do. And ultimately, that, this, is the th- this is the thing. When we, do, when we are desperate for God, he moves inside of us, not only for our own sanctification, but for this world, because he wants to use us and walk alongside us to bring restoration to this brokenness that we see. Again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, this isn't just for, for us. We don't want to be desperate just for us to be close to God. We do, but when we're in that place, we also get desperate for other people. We get desperate for other people to be close to God, and we live and we love like Jesus has loved because we've tasted and seen of his goodness and, and his love. So as, as, as the, all of the Psalms have been pretty much pointing to, spend time with God. Spend time, whether it's praising him or, or, or worshiping him, Maybe it's just being silent before him and listening to his voice. But whatever it is, whatever it looks like, draw near to God because he wants to draw near to you. He wants to bring restoration. He wants you to know who he is. And in that, knowing who you are as a dearly beloved child of the one true king. So to just, if, if you remember one thing, remember, draw near to God. Get desperate for him. Just ask him. Ask him, Lord, give me a desperation for you. And when you do that, I I think he's going to answer that prayer. 
And if you're in a place where you feel like there's no way out, there is a way out, and his name is Jesus. And I encourage you to just to seek him, because when you seek him, something's going to happen. If you seek him truly, something's going to happen. So yeah, with all of that being said, get to know, remember who he is. Remember your need for him, and seek restoration, because he does want to bring restoration. So I'm just going to end it off in a word of prayer. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Lord, there is nobody like you. In all of your faithfulness, in all of your love, there's none that compares to you in your greatness and your majesty. Lord, we just want to come boldly before you wherever we're at, whether if we're doing good right now, we want to stay on that track, Lord. We want to stay hungry and continue to seek you. And if we're feeling broken, Lord, we want to humble ourselves and say, Lord, we need you. So Lord, for the broken hearts, come and bring restoration. For those who are far, draw them near. For those who are doubting, bring confirmation. Bring restoration, Lord. Come and have your way. Lead us to your heart so that we could further reflect your truth to this broken world, Lord. And that you, in restoring us, that you would bring some restoration to this brokenness until you come back one day to finish the job. So, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.